Amen. Hey, welcome, guys. Welcome. Welcome to those of you online. So glad that you are here with us. My name is Jeremy. I'm the infrastructure pastor here at Thorn Creek Church. And if you're just joining us, uh, our lead pastor, Pastor Reuben, is still recovering from his bout with shingles. So he's he's still recovering. He's doing well. Uh, he was telling Pastor Nick yesterday that that, that was his best day of, of feeling as dizzy as has has been better. That's the best day he's had. So we know the Lord is working. We know the Lord is healing him. So keep him in your prayers. Uh, but I'm so glad that I have this opportunity to bring this message today. Uh, I want to remind you that the Lord has a word for you. You're not here by accident. Uh, God has placed you in this specific place at this specific time for you to hear his word. And so I'm so excited. God's been working on me as I've worked on this message as well. So I'm excited to give it to you and deliver it today. So let's pray and we will jump into this message. Father God, we come before you uh, today and we just thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for being here. God, we worship you with everything that we are. God, we give this time to you as an act of worship. We, uh, we want to hear from you. So we just ask, uh, we give you full permission to move, and we ask that you would move in our hearts, move in our minds. God, speak to us. Convict us where we need to be convicted. God, encourage us where we need to be encouraged. God, we just need to hear a word from you, and I know that you're going to show up and so we just thank you in advance for what you're going to do. God, we thank you for Pastor Reuben, and we just continue to pray for him and lift him up to you. Ask that you continue to heal his body. Remove this dizziness, God. Move in every part of his body, God. I pray for a 100% recovery from this illness, God. And we know that you can do it. We know that you're a good God. And so we just trust in you, and we put our faith in you. God, would you set me aside right now, this, this entire message? We've been working on it all week, and uh, God, I just want you to show up. I want your words to come out of my mouth. So God, have your way. Have your way. May your will be done today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're in this series called Fan or Follower. We've been looking at what's the difference between a fan or a follower, someone who, who just maybe sits in the stands or someone who's, who's down on the field, who's got some skin in the game. Uh, last week, we kicked this message series off and we talked about it's all about me or it's all about him. The fan says it's all about me. It's all about my wants and my desires and what I want to see in life. And the follower of Jesus says it's all about him. It's all about what God wants, his purposes and his plans for my life. And so we talked about what does it look like to, to give ourselves completely to God. And, and we talked about these definitions of what a fan and a follower looks like. A fan is just an enthusiastic admirer. The fan just knows the stats, knows the stories, knows about the person, knows about Jesus. That's what the fan does. But they don't really change their life because of what Jesus says. They, they pick and choose when they want to be a fan and when they don't want to be a fan. The fan is not committed. The fan is not devoted. The fan is just there for when the miracle happens, for when the food is around, for when Jesus is doing great things and, and I'm high on the mountaintop, that's the fan. But when the valley comes or when the struggles come or when maybe there's a teaching from Jesus that seems a little bit hard or convicting, the fan is the first one to leave. The fan says, this is too much. I can't do it. Now, the follower is a devoted disciple. That's what a follower is. 
That's our definition is a devoted disciple. And so the follower follows after Jesus no matter what. The follower has said, I am going to devote myself. That word devote means like to devote as in marriage, like just me and Jesus, no matter what, till death do us part, devoted follower of Jesus. This is the person who, who gets to know Jesus, has a relationship with Jesus, who says, I want, to, I want to not just be in the stands and see what you do, Jesus, but I want to be in the game. I want you to use me. I want to be there and be, be the one you call on to go on, go on into the game. The, the follower allows Jesus to impact their life. The follower says, Jesus, use every part of me. Move in any part of my life, whatever you want. And that's what we looked at. We looked at this, this, it's all about me or it's all about him. And the follower says, it's all about him. And so now as we progress in this series, fan or follower, each week, we're going to look at like a specific thing of what does it look like when we say it's all about him? I'm going to follow him. Today, we're talking about either it's all mine or it's all his. We're going to be looking at our resources the things that we have, we're going to look at our money and our skills and our talents. And we're going to look at what God wants us to do in all of this stuff. It reminded me of this story. Um, there was a father and he decided he wanted to, he had, a, he had a young son and he wanted to just treat him one day. And so he told the son, he said, what do you want to do? Where, where do you want to go? And the son wanted some French fries. He says, I want to go to McDonald's to get some French fries. And so dad takes him to, French, uh, to McDonald's, gets the French fries, and they go sit down and he recognizes his son is really enjoying the fries. In fact, dad supersized the fries as, a, as an extra bonus for him. And, and dad says, you know, I wouldn't mind having fries. So he reaches in to grab a fry and the son kind of does one of these as mom. Mine. These are mine. These are my fries. And the father all of a sudden kind of has this, like, three things occur to him that the son doesn't recognize. The first thing is the son doesn't recognize who the source of the fries is. The son doesn't recognize that he wouldn't be at McDonald's unless the father said, hey, you want to go and get a treat? He wouldn't have the fries unless they, they drove there and they went up to the counter and the father paid for the fries and, and even supersized them, gave him an extra blessing. He doesn't recognize the source of the fries and he also doesn't recognize who controls the fries. The father could just take the fries and say, all right, that's enough. We're done. You don't get any more fries. The father could do that. Or the father could control the fries to the point of, I'm going to get so many fries that you're going to be sick. I'm just going to keep feeding you fries and feeding you fries. I can give you so many fries, you don't even realize how many fries I can give you. The son doesn't recognize who controls the fries. And, all, and lastly, the son doesn't recognize that the father doesn't need the fries. The father can go to the counter and buy his own fries. The father doesn't need the son's fries. He just wants to, to see if the son is willing to share. He wants to, he wants to share in the joy of the son having the treat. And, and so that's kind of what happens in, in our life as we experience all of the things that we have. Whether it's the, the blessings of the Lord and jobs and, and the money that we get, get or it's the talents that God has given us or the skills that we have. You know, it reminds me, this, this story of this son, it reminds me of, of these guys. Maybe you've seen them from Finding Nemo. They're like, mine, mine, right? mine, mine. Like we want to we wanna say that it's all mine. It's just for me. If you have a kid, you've probably seen this. If you've ever been a kid, you've probably done this. <laughs> As adults, we do this. We say, it's mine. It's m these are mine. And why do we say it's mine? What, what, what's, the, what's the underlying thing there? It's, sometimes it's because we have a scarcity mindset. 
We think, you know what? There's only so much stuff out there. There's only so much money that I can have. There's only so many possessions I can have. So it's, it's mine. I need to protect it. It's mine. Sometimes we're fearful. Sometimes we fear the unknown or we fear not having enough. And so we say, it's mine. It's mine. I'm going to keep it because I need to make sure. Sometimes we worry. We worry about what if, what if I lose my job? What if the economy goes bad? What if this person becomes president? What if this war happens? All of these worries tied in with our fears can make us go, mine, it's all mine. Sometimes it's just plain greed. Sometimes I just want more. Sometimes I'm selfish and I just want it for me. We may say it's mine because I want it. I don't want anyone else to have it. This is what can drive us to to have this, this it's all mine mentality, this fan mentality when it comes to God and all of our possessions, all all of our things, all of our resources. We convince ourselves that we won't have enough. That there's just not enough and so I gotta, I gotta get mine while I can. We convince ourselves that, that I need extra. You know, just in case. I need extra. It, it's not enough to just have what I need, but I need, I need more. I need to have a big savings account. I need to have more possessions. I need to have multiple cars because what if one breaks down or what if, what if I lose my job or what if this? We just, we convince ourselves that I might just need more just because. We convince ourselves that, that we need more, that I need more than the next person. That's where that greed comes in. We just, we convince ourselves and we compare ourselves to the Joneses next door. Well, they've got a boat, so I need a boat. Well, they've got a camper, so I need a camper. They've got a big house, I got to move, I, gotta, I need a bigger house. We convince ourselves that we need more than the next person because we compare our lives to them. We can convince ourselves that I'm the only one that's looking out for me. I'm the only one I can trust. We can convince ourselves that the only person who's going to take care of us and make sure that we have enough money, that we have enough security, that we have enough of the things that we need is going to be me. That's the only one I can trust because I'm the only one who, who really cares about me. We convince ourselves of these things and we become these fans of Jesus. We become these fans who go, yes, Jesus, I understand that you can do miracles, but you don't see my life. You don't understand that I need to make sure that, that maybe I want to even make sure that, that you don't even have to do a miracle. I need to make sure that I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to do this mine mentality. I want it all for me. It's, it's these treasures. We, put, we, we, we make all of these treasures. And we look at, like, look at our fries. And we say, oh, they're so precious. And you end up looking like this guy. This guy right here. Not that guy. The other guy. There you go. That guy. <laughs> precious precious, right? We, we get all of our fries and it's mine and I want it and I just need it. And it's, 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 it's special to me and I need to keep it. And I can't give it to anybody. I can't even give it to God because it's mine and I need it and I want it. Well, Jesus lays out this fan or follower when it comes to our possessions, to our, to our, our resources that we have. He lays this out in Matthew six. I want to pick up in verse 19, Jesus is teaching. This is on his sermon on the Mount. And he says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. See, earthly treasures, all of our possessions, they're, they're fleeting, they're temporary, they can be stolen, they can be destroyed, they, can, they will rot and, 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 and go away. And, and we try to 
hoard these all up. See, Jesus is trying to help us kind of flip the script, if you will. The world says you need, to, you need to take care of yourself. You need to get it for yourself. You need to make sure, get it for your family, get it for everyone around you, take care of yourself. And that's the only way that you're going to be safe and secure and, and, and reliable in everything that you have. See, our default is to not trust in God. Our default is to trust in ourselves alone. That if I want it, I need to get it. If I, if I need it, I'm the only one who's going to get it for me. That's, that's what, what Jesus is trying to say. Like, no, don't, don't gather up all these treasures on earth. Don't gra- gather them up where they, where they... Have you ever had anything stolen? A few weeks ago, I talked about I had my car stolen. It was like one of the worst things in the world I ever experienced. Like to have someone just physically take something that belongs to you. It's just, it's horrible. I mean, it could be stolen. It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter how much you save up. It doesn't matter how much savings you have. It could be gone in an instant because someone could, could steal it. There could be fraud. There could be weather that comes in and just destroys. It could be a flood or a, or a tornado or maybe a wildfire that just comes and takes your complete house and everything you had stored in and all of your savings. It's all gone. In an instant, it can be gone. Your health <laughs> could be gone just like that. And everything that you've worked for, everything that you, you saved up is, is gone because of medical bills. And now you don't have a job because you're sick. And it can all be gone in an instant. Everything that we save up here on earth, all of our, all of our things, our cars, our homes, all of these things will rot. They will not last forever. They break down. They're just meaningless. They're, they're just treasures of this temporary earth that we're on. Most of us have experienced this in some way, some form, this, this thing, and it can lead to this mentality that we need to store it up. We need more. I've got to have more. I need more because I know that it could be gone. I know that it's going to rot. I know that it could be stolen. So I need more. I need more. I need more. Ecclesiastes says it wonderfully. Verse uh, 10 in chapter five, whoever loves money never has enough. Have you ever noticed that? You never have enough money. You're never satisfied when you love money. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Oof. Hear this. Our need for more comes from a lack of trust in what God will provide. Our need for more comes from the lack of trust in God to provide what we need. When we think we need more, we need, we need more, we need more. We don't trust in God. We don't trust that he's our good father who sees us and knows exactly what we need. When we, when we make this mentality, we have this scarcity mentality of, of get it before it's gone. I need to take care of myself. I need to store up all these treasures on earth. We aren't really trusting in God. We're just a fan. We're in the stands and we're just watching Jesus out there in the game field doing his thing. And we don't really, we're not participating. We're not close with him. We forget where the fries come from. We forget about the source of everything that we have. We, too, we put too much emphasis on the fries and not the fry giver. We put too much emphasis on the things and not the creator of the things. We put way too much emphasis on all of the things that we can see here. And we don't put any emphasis on God, the father who's made everything. Yes, we have earthly needs. We need food. And we need shelter and we need clothes. We need all those things. Our God, our father knows that God knows what you need and he's going to provide for you. But what Jesus is saying here is the fan stores up all these earthly things because for some reason they think they can take them with them. 
or they think that this is all that there is. But the follower recognizes that what I really need is heavenly treasure. What I need to store up is things that are eternal, things that will last forever. That's the heavenly treasures. We don't see exactly what those are. The Bible doesn't really tell us exactly what heavenly treasures are, but we see some indications. Uh, In 2 Timothy, Paul talks about being poured out like a drink offering, that his whole life is is this surrender and sacrifice. And so there will be this crown of righteousness in heaven. That will be his reward, something that that can't be stolen, something that can't be destroyed, something that will not rot or be taken away by vermin. Mark 9, 41, uh, Jesus talks about people who give a cup in his name, they will not lose their reward. There's this reward in heaven, this eternal reward that lasts longer than anything else. Revelation 22 talks about Jesus coming back and with him, he's going to bring those rewards because they're stored up in heaven. We will see these. This, this is a true, real thing. It's not just something imaginary or something to just encourage yourself, but we store up heavenly treasures Unlike the earthly treasures, unlike the earthly rewards. Earlier in Matthew 6, Jesus even said the Pharisees who who pray in the streets and and try to do all of these things to look really good to all the people, they get their reward in full. They get the applause of man, and that's it. And that applause of man is fleeting. It's limited. It's going to go away real quick. But what we are to do is to store up these things in heaven. As you follow and you serve God, you build up these treasures in heaven. You, you, you give yourself to God and you build up these treasures. When your heart is set on obedience to God and in all things, even when no one's looking, you're building and storing up treasures in heaven. When you, when you love the unlovable to the point where, where you just look like Jesus, then you're, you're storing up these treasures in heaven. When you clothe the naked, when you love your neighbor, when you feed the hungry, when you worship God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength, when you give him everything, then you're storing up these treasures in heaven. Jesus says, don't store up the earthly treasures. These things will be stolen and they'll decay and they'll be eaten by vermin and, and the thief can come and take him. But, but store up the things in heaven. Live for God. Don't be the fan who says it's all mine. Be the follower who says it's all his. It doesn't matter. I give it to him. In verse 21, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, that's the reality. That's the thing that we have to recognize is that if our treasure is in earthly things, then that's where our heart is and that's what we're going to worship and that's all we care about. But when our treasure is in heaven, when our treasure are the things we're building in heaven that we're storing up in heaven, then our heart is fully given to God and that's where our treasure is. We can have many treasures. We really can. We can have many treasures. Our family, our kids can be our treasure We can put those above God. We can have our jobs be our treasure, our status, how people see us. Our reputation could be something that we treasure. Our hobbies, our interests, our money. Our money can be our treasure. We just love that money. We want to have that money. We need to have that bank account full so we we feel safe and secure. All of those things. God can also be our treasure. That's what Jesus is saying. Make God your treasure. Make those heavenly things your treasure. Then you'll build them up. See, it's possible to call yourself a Christian, but love something else more than God. That's the fan life. 
The fan life says, like, I like God. I like Jesus. I like what he does. But I like this more. <laughs> I want this more. I think this is more important than Jesus. The, the follower is, 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 is the one who says, no, no, no. God is most important. So whatever he wants with the possessions, the things that I have, the, the, the money, the, the skills, the, all those things, it's possible to love God and to love something else, but just less. That's the follower. The follower still has treasures. The follower still loves their family. The follower still cares about their job. The follower still works hard to, to bring home the bacon and feed the family. That's all true, but he does it because of God and puts God above. That's the follower. The follower says, God, whatever you want, whatever your will is, I want to do that. But I still have, I still have these other minor treasures. We make this decision to make our life all about him, and then we confess it's all his. Everything belongs to him. There's nothing that we hold back from him. Verse 22 says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's kind of like, what, Jesus? <laughs> we were just talking about treasures, and now we're talking about the eye, and there's this light. Jesus is comparing this idea of storing up earthly treasures to the darkness that can be in your light, in your eye. He's comparing the, the storing up of heavenly treasures as, as the light that can be in your eye. This, this idea of, of healthy, this word, uh, it's, uh, in Greek, it's haplous, and it pertains to being motivated by singleness and purpose. Single, without guile, sincere, and straightforward. When your eye is healthy, there's this singleness of purpose. There's this, this focus that it has. And, and so when it's healthy and it's looking at God, you have this, this focus on him. And then this light enters into your body. Uh, the, the ancients would believe that, that, that light entered into the body through the eye. So that's why Jesus is kind of talking in this way. In that Eastern ancient culture, they, they were really tracking with Jesus. As he said, the eye is the lamp uh, of, the, of the body. And, and we see this light come in. The New Beacon Bible Commentary, it says it like, this, as we seek that which is of God, our eyes are a lamp, having a single-minded devotion to God, and as a result, we become full of him and his light, and in that way, can let our light shine before others. So when we focused on God, we give everything to God, and we're focused on him, then our eye becomes this lamp, this light to our body. And it's this singleness of just going after him for everything. And we're with God and there's health and it's good. Now, the other side of it is we can have an unhealthy eye. Unhealthy, the, the uh, Greek word is uh, paneros and it means diseased, means ill, means sick. Like we can have a sick, unhealthy, diseased eye. And the, the New Beacon Bible commentary continues on. It says, since the eye is ill, it cannot function as a lamp and shed light in the interior of one's being. Therefore, the whole body is full of darkness. Jesus is saying, when our eye is not healthy, looking to God, storing up heavenly treasures, when it's sick, when it's unhealthy, when it's ill, then it fills us with darkness, that we don't see the light. 
We don't, we don't walk in the light. We don't have this lamp of our eye, this light that is there. And so when we, when we store up these treasures on earth, we're really separating ourselves with, from God. We're not trusting in him. We're not, we're not looking to him. Our faith becomes weak. We can, we can trust in ourselves. We can trust in all the earthly things. We can trust in our government. We can trust in ourselves. We can trust in our job. All of these things that, 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 are, that, are, that are temporal and temporary. We can trust in those. But what God wants us to do is have this singleness, this healthiness in our eye to look directly at him, to focus in. See, what you're focused on, that's where your treasure is. It will either enlighten or it will darken your life. If you're focused in on those earthly treasures, then you're getting darkness into your life. You're, you're, you're living in the world and, and of the world. But when you're, when you're focused on Jesus, when you say, it's all yours, Jesus, everything, and I just want those heavenly treasures, when, when you tell me <laughs> that I need to give, then I will give. When you tell me to sacrifice, I will sacrifice. When you do all of those things, then the light enters into your life. Jesus finishes up in chapter six. He says it like this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will, not, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So you make it clear. Jesus is talking about money in this passage. He's talking about what you have. He's talking about your resources, the money that you have. You can either love that money and love the earthly treasures and have an unhealthy eye, or you can be a follower and you can love the heavenly treasures and you can store them up and you can, and you can love God completely, but you can't do both. That's what he's saying. You cannot do both. You can't live the divided life because he says at, one, at some point, you're going to pick one over the other. You can't have two number ones. You can't have a tie for first. If there's a tie for first, then they're both second. That one will win over the other. And so what do we have? What are these things? He says it, money. You can't serve God and money. We also have time. That's a resource that we have. And we have our skills and our talents. We have all of these things, our possessions, the, the, the things that we have accrued. Those are the things. And where do they come from? Are they all just coming from us? Well, no. They come from God. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. The, the goodness, the blessings, the things in your life that you, you have them because of God. God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Everything that we have comes from God. Everything that we have. Now you may say, I've worked really hard. I've earned all of the things that I have. I've, I've, I've worked really hard. But then I ask, well, how did you work really hard? Like, how did you have the stamina and the energy and the breath in your lungs to work really hard? Didn't that come from God? All of those things. Where'd you have the intellect and the talent and the skills? Didn't those come from God? Yes, they did. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. See, God created you. You're not just someone. You're not just some random person. He created you. You are his masterpiece, his handiwork. He's uniquely crafted you and created you for, for plans and purposes that he has. And so, so everything that you have and everything that you are is because of God. It was all created by God. Genesis 1.1, it really breaks down to this. 
the very first verse in the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, stuff in God. Not in the beginning, you and God. Not in the beginning, uh, all, of, all of this matter in God. But in the beginning, God. God is the uncreated one. God is the, the, the giver of all life and all creation. And he speaks into existence all of heaven and all of earth. And so everything we have comes from him and it belongs to him. Even the things that we have, the, the phone that's in your pocket, it may have been assembled by humans, but when you break it down to its raw materials, where did those come from? They came from God. He created the atoms and the molecules that, that make up everything that we, that we have and we experience. Everything comes from God. And because God created it all, it all belongs to him. And he's a gracious God. And he's a good God. And he allows us to partake in all of the stuff that he has. He gives us the fries. He gives us supersized fries because he's so good. He wants to see us have joy in all of his creation. In fact, when you read Genesis, you see him create everything. And then he says, let's, let's make mankind in our image. And he puts them in this, this wonderful garden, this perfect place. And he says work, which is silly because there was no work. There was like a mist that watered everything. Everything was perfect. There was no, like you didn't have to work. You just walk around with God in the garden. That's our good God. That's what he wants to do. He wants to give us all of these things because he's a good father. He's a good father and he loves us. The fan sees money and possessions and all of creation and all of the things we have, they see them for themselves. The fan sees it as, as all for me and for my will and for whatever I want to do with them. They're all for me. But the follower sees everything, their money, their possessions, their time, their resources as a gift from God to be used for God's kingdom. The fan says, I'll give when there's extra. I mean, I got to pay my bills and I got to make sure that the Netflix subscription is, is up to date and I got to make sure that I have some, some extra money for going out and I need to make sure that my, my kids have all the toys that they have and I got to make sure I have all the toys that I want and then if there's some extra, I'll give that to God. That's the fan. Because sometimes there might not be extra. Sometimes this month is a little tight and you know what? God understands. That's the fan. The follower says, I'm going to give to God first before all of my bills, before all of my needs, before all of my wants, because God gave me everything I have. And so as an act of worship, I'm going to give back to God. That's what the follower does. The follower sees all of their resources for God's kingdoms. I have these resources. I have these things because God wants to use me, wants to use them for his kingdom. They're willing to sacrifice anything and everything for God because they recognize that they have a debt that they can't really repay. Jesus went to the cross for each and every one of us, paid for all of our sins, something that we could not do. And so when I recognize the love of God in that place, that he chose to come to this planet and live and die for me, then I'm willing to give anything for him. Then my possessions really aren't that important. It's really about his love. The follower lives the life of sacrificial giving. That's the key, sacrificial giving. Look at it here in Mark 12. I, I picked the message, Eugene Peterson, that's his paraphrase of the Bible. And I love how he says it here. He says, sitting across from the offering box, he was observing how the crowd tossed money in for the collection. 
Many of the rich were making large contributions. One poor widow came up and put in two small coins, a measly two cents. Jesus called his disciples over and said, the truth is this poor widow gave more to the collection than all the others put together. All the others gave what they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. Hear this. Jesus cares about the size of the sacrifice, not the size of the gift. Jesus cares about the size of the sacrifice, not the size of the gift. We see this. This was, a, this was during Passover. This was actually during Passion Week that Jesus sees this happen. And there's this normal collection box at the temple. You would have to go pay your temple tax and you would pay offerings and love offerings. And so here's this place where people are going in and all of these rich people are coming in and they're giving all these huge amounts into there and they're giving out of their wealth. And, and, and they see themselves as, as really good because basically they're still just giving the extra They're giving out of their wealth, but they're not giving something that they're going to miss. They're not giving something that makes them sacrifice. But here's this this old lady who comes in and all she has is, is two pennies. That's all she could afford. That was all she owns. And she puts it into the collection box because she sacrifices. She recognizes that God is way more important than any money that she has. I love how Mother Teresa says it. She says, if you give what you do not need, it isn't giving. If you don't need it, you're not really giving it away. It's just something you don't need. Giving means sacrifice. Jesus is interested in equal sacrifice, not equal giving. We don't have to have the same number of zeros on our gift. We need to have the same heart sacrifice for giving all to God. That's what he desires. So what do we do? What does this look like? I want to kind of get practical a little bit here. What is, where does sacrificial giving begin? What does this look like? Well, it starts with tithing. When we, when we preach, when we read the Bible, we see tithing is a principle. Tithe means 10, one-tenth, means 10%. And so we see that even before the law was given to Moses, we see Abraham and we see Jacob give a tenth of their of their possessions, of their money, of their herds, of their first fruits. And that's the thing. The tithe is the first fruits. It's not the last 10%. It's the first 10%. Because we know if we wait for the last 10%, sometimes it's eight, (laughs) right? And sometimes it's six. And sometimes it's zero. Because I got to the end and we didn't, we just, we didn't have the 10%. So we give the first fruits. That's how we honor God. We give this 10th of the first fruits, the first of everything. And we see the tithe show up in the law as well. Leviticus talks about, you must bring in the tithe. And it actually goes to the point of saying like of, of your, of your grains and your, your other kind of offerings, you're supposed to give this first fruits, this 10th. And if you want them back, because maybe you need them, you have to pay for them and then pay one fifth of of more of their value. Like it's important to give God of your first fruits because every fruit that you have, your paycheck that you get, if you're a a farmer, your, your agriculture, your crops, the first of that goes to God because the only reason you have it is because of God. When they talk about these first fruits and they talk about this agricultural lifestyle that we don't, we're so separated from, right? Living here in, in suburbia, we're, we're pretty separated from it. We don't worry about our flocks. We don't worry about our crops. We aren't concerned about the rain that comes in. Uh, we just go to work. And as long as we fulfill our hours or do what we're supposed to do, we get our paycheck. But when you have a crop, 
that is dependent upon the reins, you recognize how out of control you are of, of whether that crop produces or not. You recognize that it's by God's grace that you have a crop. And it's easy now for us to, to say, well, I earned that job. I went and got the education. I went and did all this stuff. That's why I have the job. But, but the reality is the reason you have the job is because, because of God's grace. And because of, of having that job, you, you get a paycheck and you get to feed your family and you get to feed yourself. And so, so we start with this tithe. We give this first fruits. And it's important because it teaches us something. It's not just, God didn't just arbitrarily say, hey, just give back. There's a reason for it. We see it in Deuteronomy 14. It says, you must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place of the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of the grain, the new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. The purpose, here it is, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to fear the Lord your God. There is a purpose for giving back to God. It teaches us to fear him. And that's not like fear like afraid. Like, oh, there's God. I'm scared. It's not that. It's this Hebrew word means to revere God, to have reverence, to have awe for him. So when we give back in this way of, of worship, when we, we do this, it teaches us to have awe for God, to have reverence for God, to recognize that what we have, everything we have, comes from him. It's not all mine. It's not even part mine. <laughs> it's not even like 199th mine. It's all his. He allows us to have it. And so out of worship, we give one-tenth back. And we say, God, I recognize who you are. And we fear the Lord. We recognize, we put him above everything else. God encourages us to even test him. We see this in Malachi chapter three. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of the heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. Most of the time we think, don't test God, which I agree, don't, don't test God. But here he says, go ahead and test me in this. Test me in this. Because our fear is that if I give 10%, then I only have 90% and that's not enough. I need the whole 100%. If I give it to God, how am I, how am I supposed, like I've budgeted based off my paycheck and I need the whole 100%. Sometimes we may even cry out like, God, you don't get it. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I need the 100%. I can't give 10%. But God says, test me. See if I won't open heaven's floodgates. See if I won't fill up everything you need. Yeah, put your hands together for that. That's who our God is. It says your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from, from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. God challenges you to test him. Now, what I've learned in my tithing experience, my, my wife and I, we've tithed for quite a while here. And, and I've recognized that what God can do with that 90% is way better and more than I could do with 100%. His math is way better than my math. His financial prowess, way better than my financial prowess. 
And I remember, I remember that first tithe check that we wrote. Uh, we, were, we were far from God. This isn't like I grew up tithing and so it was really easy because I tithed off the $1 I made and then just as I kept going. No, we were far from God and I was working in corporate IT and we had a good salary and we started coming to church and God got a hold of us and we went and we recognized we're supposed to tithe and I looked at the checkbook and I go, I don't know how we're supposed to do this. I don't know how we're supposed to do this because the budget says we're tight the budget says we can't do this because the budget says there's, there's not 10% left over. If there was 10% left over, then okay, that makes sense. But here's the reality. Nobody has the 10% left over. <laughs> we, all, we, always, we just spend it because it's fun, because we want things. Nobody has the 10% left over. So it's always a faith step when you say, all right, um, okay, I'm going to tithe. And I remember that first tithe check that, that Patty and I wrote and I looked at the budget, and we got our little spreadsheet, and we keep track of it, and we're like, oh, I don't know how this is going to work. Like, we're going to be short on something. But by faith, we signed the check. By faith, we gave to God first our tithe, our 10%, our first fruits. And would you know it, at the end of the month, we weren't in the red. God provided. And it wasn't some crazy miracle. It wasn't like, like, the next day I went out to my mailbox and there was a check for me. I mean, that happens. God can do that. And I know God has done that. But for us, God just moved in the little everyday things. And really, we chose to say it's all yours. So we changed our budget because we want to honor God. And so we're going to put the 10% first and it's scary. And we go, well, maybe I'm going to sacrifice an extra Starbucks for God. Maybe I'm going to sacrifice this to God because I'm going to give to him first. He says, test me. He says, test me. See, the fan is going to say, when we talk about all this, that that's just all Old Testament stuff. You don't have to worry about that. The fan says, you know, just worry about the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, it doesn't say tithe. It doesn't say tithe. Or does it? Luke eleven forty two. 42, it says, what sorrow awaits you? This is Jesus talking. What sorrow awaits you Pharisees for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe. Yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Jesus is acknowledging with the Pharisees that the tithe is not just a bill to be paid to check off a box to make you look good for God. He says, you tithe off the smallest things. You've got your little herb garden and you take a tenth of that, you know, a tiny little herb and you take a tenth of that and you say, okay, here, God, here's my first fruits. You're willing to do that. But then he says, but you're neglecting the love and the justice of God. Now notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, so forget all of that and focus on the justice and love of God. Jesus did not say that. He said, you should tithe, yes, but don't neglect these other things either. It's a both and. When we give all of ourselves to God, we worship him with our finances. We worship him with our time. We worship him with our skills. We worship him with our, our actions. We act justly. We love our neighbor. We love God. It's all inclusive. It's not compartmentalized. <laughs> it's all for God. Jesus says, yes, you should tie. The fan will cherry pick. The fan will go, well, you know, Jesus only said it once. 
I mean, in the Old Testament, it's like there, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever. But he only said it once, so we don't really have to do it. The fan steps back and goes, well, you know what? I'm okay with just the last 10%, maybe the last eight or nine or maybe 5% is okay. That's the fan. The fan will cherry pick what we get to pick or what we get to follow out of God's word. But the follower says, well, Jesus said, yes, you should tithe. Then yes, I should tithe. It doesn't get any simpler. I'm going to follow what Jesus said. He's my savior. He saved my life from death, from eternal death and damnation. So yeah, I'm going to do what he says. That's what the follower does. Look at how Paul tells the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9, it says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. See, for the New Testament, for the, for, the, for the Christian, the follower of Christ, the tithe is the beginning, not the end. It's the beginning. Because we should be led by the Spirit to give. What Jesus is, or what Paul's telling them is that when we give generously, we receive blessings generously. If we, if we give sparingly, then we receive blessings sparingly. He says, you must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So hear this. I'm not trying to pressure you into giving. My, my whole hope, my, I'm not doing that. I don't want to pressure you. I just want you to hear what God says. This is what God's word tells us. And you can either be a fan or you can be a follower. You can say, well, Jesus said it, so I'm going to do it. Or you can say, well, he only said it once, so... I'll do it, maybe. But God wants us to give, not reluctantly, with a cheerful heart. This, this word, the Greek word that gets translated to cheerful is uh, hilaros. It's where we get the word hilarious. Like we're supposed to give hilariously. With like reckless abandon. Like just generously. It's not just a tithe. We don't, we, don't just, we, don't, we don't act like the Pharisees who say, okay, just that one-tenth, that's it. Okay, I'm done. I, may, I checked the box. I'm legally done. It goes above and beyond that. The follower of Jesus gives as the Holy Spirit directs. That's the follower. The fan cherry picks, maybe, maybe says, I'm just only going to give this much. That's my 10%. I'm done. But that's not where God stops. God says, well, what if I want you to give a little bit more over here? What about that person that's on the side of the road? What about that person who's hungry? What about that person in your church who can't make their mortgage? Is it okay just because you gave your 10% and you're done? No, we're to be directed by the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul's talking about when he said each should decide in his own heart. I love how C.S. Lewis says it. He, he sums it up wonderfully. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. Sacrifice. God doesn't care about the size of your gift. He cares about the size of your sacrifice. God wants us to sacrifice for him. He wants us to test him in that. He says, if, 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 you think, if you think that that I, who made everything, can't give you more, then you're just, you're being foolish. Look at the early church. That's how they did it. They, uh, they tithed. It was not something foreign to them. They didn't have to be told. They were, they were just already doing it. 
Then they gave even more. Acts 4, it says, All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon all of them. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. It's pretty significant. He's from the tribe of Levi. In the Old Testament, you know who got the tithes? The Levites. That was their inheritance. They didn't get land. When God's brought them into the promised land and said, divide up the land and Judah gets this and the tribe of Benjamin gets this and the tribe of Dan gets this. The tribe of, of Levi, they didn't get anything. Their inheritance was the Lord. They, they got to minister and, and serve in the temple. And so all of the tithes came into them. So here's someone who, who deserved the tithe. He's from the tribe of Levi and he goes and sells something that he has to give to those who are needy. The early church consisted of all these people who hilariously gave. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful if, if the news report was, there are no needy people at Thorn Creek Church? Because we just, we give. Because they're hilarious. You won't believe it. We give cheerfully. And we love. There was a, there's a person, there's a, person who attends Thorn Creek, uh, this person gave me permission to share this story. And um, this person, I've, I've known them for quite a while. They've been coming to Thorn Creek and they've gone through all kinds of things and um, ups and downs. And they've been supported by their small group. They've been supported by the church. Uh, there's been lots of prayer and, and financial gifts. And this person over the last two, three months have just had it really, really tough. And they were in risk of being evicted. And, um, and the Lord moved in a powerful way. And they were able to take care of back rent and even a couple months in advance too. And so this person stopped by the church and dropped off an envelope. And it had, had the person's name on it, had the their phone number and said, Pastor Jeremy, call me. I wasn't here at the time. So I, I called this person. This person told me about everything that had happened. And I, and I knew that they, they were in risk of, of being evicted. And that was a big deal. And, and that they weren't now all of a sudden. That's, that's what I heard. And, and so the person said, look in the envelope. And I look in the envelope and there's cash in there. And this person said, I've been blessed by God and taken care of by so many people and now I'm sitting in this place of, of, of abundance and this is just for anyone else who needs, who needs help. This person hilariously gave. The world would say, well, just keep that because you never know. You might get yourself into another situation where you're going to need that money. The world's going to say, well, just keep that because, because it's extra. Just have a little vacation on yourself for yourself. 
But this person said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give. <laughs> I want someone else who's in my situation to experience the love of God. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, put your hands together for that. That's a follower of Christ. That's not a fan. The fan says, I'll just take it. I'll get the extra thing that I want. I've always been wanting this. There it is. Now I've got it. The follower says, you know what? God has given me everything and has taken care of me so many ways. How could I not give this back? God will provide for all of your needs. Second Corinthians, it continues on. It says, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Here's the really neat thing. As I read through this and I was studying this week, I was like, oh, wow, God kind of has his own laundering service of money. It's kind of like we give to God and then he provides for our needs and he gives us more than we need so that we can share and give to people. And then he provides for our needs so that we get more and we can share like, gosh, just laundering money. It's right through us. If we're, if we're, if we're giving everything to him, he's just going to keep that cycle going. That he will provide for everything you need and give you more so that you can share with others. It's not so that you can say it's all mine. It's not so that you can say, look at how big my bank account is. It's not so you can say, look at how big my truck is. It's not so you can say, look how big my house is. But it's so that you could be in that place like this person who said, you know what? Now I'm just, whoever else needs some money, I have some. Like those early church people in Acts who said, you know what? None of us need to be needy. None of us need to go hungry. None of us need to go without clothes. What do you need? Philippians 4.19 says, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. God has glorious riches. Glorious riches. God made everything. If you need more, he can just make more. That's our God. Like there's no end. But the challenge we have is that we can, we can, we can get into these different kind of mindset, this like finite versus infinite. If God is the creator of all things, then we don't have to think that things are finite. We don't have to, we don't have to struggle with those things where we say we convince ourselves that like, I got to grab this because if I don't, then it might be gone. No, God will provide. He'll provide for everything you need. We can go from, we can, we can be in that fan mode of, of scarcity mindset, or we can go to an abundance mindset. Well, I know who my God is. He has riches, or glorious riches in heaven. I don't have to worry. I'm not concerned. God is able to provide anything and everything that we need. There is no issue of running out. And so here's the issue with it's all mine or it's all his. It's a heart issue. It's where's your devotion? Do you want to be the fan who is just an enthusiastic admirer watching from the stands? Or do you want to be a follower who's a devoted disciple? Here's what giving is. It's a heart issue. It's an act of worship. It's an act of obedience. It's an act of trust. And it's an act of faith. It's stewardship. God gives to us to launder that money. <laughs> and we have to steward it. And it doesn't mean that we're reckless and, and ridiculous and foolish. 
He's given us a mind to think through things, so we take care of our family and we, we do those things because that's why God provides for us. But when we, rec- we, we give to him first and then he takes care of us and we have that extra, then we continue to give as the Spirit leads us. What giving isn't, it's not paying a debt. You can't pay that debt. You just can't. It's not, the church just wants my money. At Thorn Creek Church, we believe God provides for us. Now, I know he uses people who give and tithe every day, all of you. But that's all by God's grace. That's all by God's grace. Giving is not a requirement for salvation. No one's going to come here and tell you, well, you're not saved if you're not tithing. You're not saved if you're not giving. Salvation is through Christ alone by faith. Faith alone in Christ. Everything that he did on that cross. And it's not, giving is not a way to build yourself up and impress people. Jesus warns about that. He even says, give in such a way that the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. We just give and we trust the Lord. So here's my challenge to to you today. Um, Make a commitment. First, give yourself to the Lord. That's where it starts. It doesn't start with the tithe check. It starts with giving yourself to Christ, to Jesus. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you didn't recognize that that you have this sin that is keeping you from God, and you may recognize, hey, Jesus went to the cross. He died for me and for my sins. Then, Then put your trust in Jesus. That's the first thing you do. If you haven't done that, then you have to make that commitment. If you've already done that, then give as an act of worship and trust in Jesus. Give him that first fruits. Give as the spirit leads. Maybe you're already tithing, but you're just like stopping right there. You're just like that Pharisee, like just the 10th. Give as the spirit leads you. Finally, just give all your resources, all your time, all your possessions, all your talents, all your skills. It's not all yours. It's all his. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for paying the debt that we never could. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. God, we trust in you. God, I know um, talking about money can be a a hard thing. But uh, you talked about it, and so we're going to talk about it. And I know it's not something that, that you want us to just shy away from. You don't want us to feel guilty or pressured into giving. That's what your word says. God, build in us that cheerful heart that we can give hilariously, that we can give out of your abundance because everything we have, it comes from you. And we trust that you will provide for every need that we have. Even when it seems impossible, even when it seems tight, even when it seems like it's going to need a miracle, we know that you can do that. So we put our trust in you. We put our faith in you. And God, we say, it's not all mine, it's all yours. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.